But I'll begin today with this story. It's, it's a political story. It's a joke. You've probably heard it before. <clears throat> it's about politician promises. And it's about a U.S. senator who, who dies tragically quickly and appears at the gates of heaven. You know how the, the, all these jokes begin, right? And there he meets St. Peter, and St. Peter's quite shocked and surprised. And he said, well, Senator, we're not quite sure how to handle this because we don't get many politicians up this way. The senator said, well, if you'll just open the gates, I'll go right on in. And St. Peter said, hang on. And he came back and said, the word from above, from the big guy, is that you will spend one day in heaven and one day in hell, and then you can choose afterwards which you will live in. The politician said, I've already made up my mind. I want to I be in heaven. St. Peter said, sorry, you're not that powerful. And so he puts him on the elevator, and he descends down to the very bottom, and he steps out onto this lush green golf course. And there, beautiful clubhouse in the distance, all of his friends and colleagues from across the years there come over to welcome him. They play a beautiful round of golf on that course. He plays the best game of his life. They go inside, and they have lobster and a fine dinner, and it's cigars and brandy to finish up the day. And before he knows it, he's told he must go back to the gates again. And so he does. He ascends up, and, and there's St. Peter, and he says, now for your day in heaven. So the senator goes in, and, and it's a, a long day. It is the longest day of the politician's life ever, going cloud to cloud, mulling around, talking to groups of people, not telling people what to do, harps playing, singing hymns. And after the day ends, he appears back at the gates of heaven. St. Peter says, well, the choice is yours now. And he said, I never thought that I might say this, but I think I'm better suited for hell. And so St. Peter opens the elevator. The devil is there, a very nice, welcoming gentleman, and, and they descend down, and the doors open, and he steps out onto this barren wasteland covered with trash. It's hot. It smells terrible. And all of his friends are wearing orange vests, walking around, picking up trash, eternal trash detail. And he turns to the devil and says, my goodness, what happened? We were just here 24 hours ago. What happened to the place that I knew? And the devil smiles, of course, and walks over to him and puts his arm around his shoulder to comfort him and said, let me put this in language perhaps you could best understand it in. Yesterday was the campaign. And today was the election. <laughs> and so there's humor in that story about politicians and their promises, right? Right. Politicians at their very best begging for the benefit from the people to be elected make some pretty bodacious promises in a campaign. Occasionally, those get kept to some degree, but never fully after the election is over and they're in office, and sometimes they just never materialize for whatever reason, but they're empty promises in many regards, and we're dismayed by those. Jacob, who is Joseph's son, and his 
11 other sons migrate, transfer themselves from Canaan to Goshen in our scripture today. And they come there giving great promises about what will be for them in that land of Egypt. Their son and brother, Joseph, has risen to great degrees of power. He is second only in power in all of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king. And he oversees all of his business uh, ventures and especially the food stores that have been collected up over the previous seven years during feast because now there is a great famine in the land and they are starved. And so they are giving food to eat and a place to live in the choicest of lands there in Egypt in the Nile Delta where grass grows green, where their flocks can, can continue to eat while the rest of Egypt seems to, to starve and fall into desolation. There were counterfeit promises made to, to Jacob and his 11 sons that I want to talk about today in context of this scripture. And I want us to hear the, the, the clash in the biblical story between the social and the spiritual realms because it's happening as it's unfolded for us today. Uh, Joseph gave to his father and his brothers great security and prosperity, but they were not the same promises that were given to Jacob's grandfather Abraham by God. Which promises would, would they live by and buy into in this clash? So a few things I'll mention briefly today. And the first of those is that we see a migration of God's people from from Canaan, that land that they were promised, to this land of Egypt where, where their son and brother Joseph is. And so they relocate as, as they uh, had to because of great need. That meant, and you heard last week, that Pharaoh sent for them great carts for transportation of all of their goods and everything that they had and all of their family, all of them, their entire people, Jacob, also known as Israel, come and settle there in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule. And I want us to, um, to hear today that, that migration is something that has historically happened uh, around the globe over all time. Uh, some fast facts about, about migration and immigrants. Uh, one of seven, one in seven people in the world at any given time is considered to be uh, migratory. Uh, the 20th century, which was the 1900s, had the greatest people group shifts around the globe, migrations, in all of human history. And that was primarily because of World War I, World War II, and the Cold War uh, between Soviet Union and the U.S. The 21st century is on track to surpass that amount of migration happening upon the globe. And you mentioned migration or immigration in the U.S., and obviously, automatically, our minds go to the southern border of the U.S. It's a hot topic, right? I bet even me bringing it up from the scriptures today has made some people say, oh, where's he going with this? What's he going to say? Well, I will simply say this, that, that let's don't hear the social rattle from politicians and news sources about immigration deafen our ears to the spiritual aspect of that, which is that 
that God uh, calls us through Jesus Christ to know that every single person in the world is a unique and beautiful creation of God. Politicians love to take this issue, don't they? And to make it hot topic and hot button. They like to rear up their base with it, and, and they like to uh, appeal to potential voters through it. Uh, they like to, to make you think, one way or the other, that, that if you are for keeping criminals out and keeping our country safe, that somehow you're against caring for people that are in great plight and, and uh, great uh, turmoil. Or they will make you think that if you don't um, think that we should let everyone in, then somehow you, you are wrong on that. So very plain and simple, politicians like to take wedge issues and try to get people to vote for them and for their causes uh, through those. And they've done that with immigration in our country. So what are the reasons that people would want to leave home? All that they know, a house and, and their community and their, their country that they obviously would have pride in and, and to go hundreds of miles away to settle elsewhere? Well, probably the same reasons that our fathers and forefathers came, which is a variety. It could be survival like Jacob bringing his family to Egypt because that was where the food was to eat in a time of famine. It could be for economic opportunities like some of our forefathers from Europe might have done in order to come and be a part of the, the colonization of, of the Americas. It could be forced servitude, the reason that, that um, people immigrate. They're, they're forced as indentured servants or slaves to, to go to places where they do not want to go under the command of others. And we hear a lot about that with uh, the sex trade in this day and age. It could be religious persecution for people that cannot find a way to live out their faith and worship where they live, such as the pilgrims and other religious groups in Europe uh, some centuries ago. The important thing for us to remember in this is that God calls us as Christians to treat people with great respect and dignity and to do what we can to show love love. Jesus did that with the Samaritans and the Gentiles at great expense uh, of his reputation among his Jewish family, and yet he did it anyway. So migration is in this passage of Scripture, and Jacob and his 11, 12 sons are welcomed there. The second thing of this the scripture in the clash of social versus spiritual is the opportunity and oppression that we see in it. And Joseph is, is so key in this, in his ability to see an opportunity and to take it. Throughout his story, and you remember, if you've followed along, that from the time he was thrown into a cistern for dead by his brothers, every opportunity that came along, whether it was as a servant in in Potiphar's house, or a prisoner in Pharaoh's prison, he took opportunity to, to find a way to make a difference and, and to become influential and to do the things of God. And so throughout this story, he has risen to a place of power and influence that I would dare say none of us could compare to 
or think about. And in these times of great want, this stretch of famine, notice that Joseph is enacting out Pharaoh's policies for the land for the people of Egypt. The first year they come to him and say, we have no food to eat, and, and they sell the food to the Egyptian people. The second year, they say, well, you know, if you'll give us your livestock, your, your valuables, then we will give you food to eat, and they do that. The third year, no food is still around, and they come willingly, and they sell their land, and they submit themselves into slavery as slaves of Pharaoh, just so that they can stay alive and eat. And then Joseph enacts a law that says, from that point forward, a fifth of everything that they, they garner will go back to Pharaoh again. Do you see here that, that there is great advantage taken of the Egyptian people who are starving because there is one leader, one Pharaoh that is desiring to become wealthy and rich. It's important for us to hear in this that, that in times of opportunity, not to allow them to become times of oppression, because that happens around the world in so many different uh, venues at so many different times. Now, I say this in context of Joseph's story, especially because, remember, 300 years passed after Jacob is dead and gone, and Joseph is dead and gone. And the first chapter of Exodus tells us this, that the Israelites had become large and numerous in the land of Egypt. And suddenly, there's a new Pharaoh in office. There's no one in power or influence among the Israelites, and so they fall quickly out of favor, and they themselves are enslaved, to do the work of Pharaoh, even to the point of being a threat to Pharaoh, that he, he charges for their, their young men, children, to be cast into the Nile River so as not to be a greater threat to his power. Do you think that, that Joseph, in this time, would have submitted his family and his ancestor group to Pharaoh if he had known how it would end up generations later. He had great opportunity, and he seized those, and he saved God's people, his family, and, and he did all that was right and good in that regard. But, but power, power can do terrible things to people. It can cause great oppression when one person is calling all the shots. It's one of the things we love about our liberty, isn't it? that we can choose our leaders and have systems of checks and balances where, where that does not occur generally in our country. And yet we know in the world throughout that there are places where people are severely oppressed. Severely oppressed. There are people that are uh, under autocratic rule and have no participation in their governance and they are the victims of, of greedy leaders that take advantage of, of their plight and their difficulty. It's a double-edged sword, opportunity, and oppression. And we need to be careful and cautious and remember that the things of this world are not what should rule and govern us, but that the God of heaven should be. That's the last thing today is that we should trust God's promises above the things 
of this world, above politicians' promises, above things of power that we trust in and, and we have great confidence and security in. We need to trust God above all other things because in the end, our home we hope and desire is with God in the end. I think that Jacob, the father of, of Joseph, Israel was his name. I don't think that, that if he knew that settling in Egypt would be such a detrimental thing for his children and his grandchildren and the, the, um, those that would follow after that, that he might not have done that. I think he had to save his family, take care of them, and we all would do that. But did you notice that at the end of the scripture, the promise that Jacob makes Joseph swear to him when he is getting close to the end of his life? What does he say? Promise me, son, that you will not bury me here in Egypt, in Canaan, I mean in, um, in Goshen, but instead take me back to where my forefathers are in the land of Canaan. The promised land that was promised to, to Abraham, who was, was Jacob's grandfather. I think that he knows in his heart of hearts that Egypt is not his home. Despite the promises and the prosperity that he is given there, he knows that there's, there's a place that is greater, more important. It is a spiritual choice. And not just a social choice. It is the land of God that he chooses and desires to dwell in ultimately. And so we should too. As followers of Christ, as people of faith, we should have our eyes set upon our final destination. Not the things of this world, not trusting in, in just the, the counterfeit promises that are made and short-lived in the world where we are, but instead put our hope and our trust in the things of heaven and to live as God has called us to live in following Jesus Christ, to show great love and, and compassion, to, to help where we can help and uh, to live the, the Christian life uh, generally in, in uh, the world where we exist. And so we want to close today in a moment of prayer. And I remind all of you right after the service today, we're having lunch over in the fellowship hall. And I hope that you will um, go over that way as a meet and greet to Sherry and also to help give support for our youth who are going on a retreat next weekend. Let's bow our heads as we close out today before we sing. Lord, thank you for this uh, story of your servant, Joseph. And all that he uh, gives us an example. And thank you for, for the skirting today along the lines of the, the social and spiritual realms. Lord, help us uh, to be faithful to you above all things of this world. Lord, even when our attention is commanded by all the voices and the noises around us, help us to stay centered and true in our call from your Son.